Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the host and guests and do not necessarily represent those of any organization including one generation away. America is free. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of enterprise, and freedom is special and rare. This is Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides, a production of LibertyNation.com, going after what the politicians really mean and making it all clear for your freedom and your liberty. Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. President Joe Biden delivered his second State of the Union speech last week, the first to a fractured Congress. But what was his message? Did he make the grade? And ultimately, what was the real driver behind his haphazard rhetoric? Welcome to Liberty Nation Radio here on the Radio America Network. I'm your host, Mark Angelides. On today's special edition, we have the designated Liberty Nation State of the Union panel to dissect and decode what really went down. I'd like to say a special thank you to our listeners on KACT on 1360 AM out of Andrews, Texas. Thanks for being part of the team. And remember, this show is proudly sponsored by LibertyNation.com, where you can access podcasts, breaking news, analysis, and a range of biting and brilliant shows to whet your appetite for freedom and your fondness for the great American constitution. The question of a unifying theme in Biden's State of the Union, has the nation scratching its collective head? Was the scattergun approach to topics without an overarching motif all part and parcel of a grander plan for President Biden? Well, we're fortunate to be joined by our special Liberty Nation panel of senior political analyst and longtime host of this here show, Mr. Tim Donner, chief political correspondent and satirist, Graham J. Noble, and legal affairs editor and host of the Uprising podcast, Mr. Scott D. Cosenza, Esquire. We must add the Esquire there just to get your uh, qualifications in, Scott, and we do appreciate it. I'm sure Dr. Jill took a number Biden of years too. to get those, a year for each letter, uh, I think. It's so. the ESQs <laughs> like the doctor in Dr. Joe Biden. <laughs> no, it's Absolutely. definitely not. Tim. It's nothing like that at all, as a matter of fact. Well, as, as, as Whoopi Goldberg says, she should be Surgeon General of the United States. Mm-hmm. So, gents, we all uh, suffered uh, last night or this early this morning watching the State of the Union. Uh, overall impressions, did it land or not? What do you think, guys? You know, in my opinion, it was a typical State of the Union in the sense that it was just a laundry list of everything that they have accomplished using air quotes, which involves reaching into taxpayer pockets and borrowing money to the tune of a 31 trillion plus national debt. That's 31 followed by not three or six or nine but 12 zeros. I like to make that point from time to time. But, you know, it's always possible for a president to craft a message that makes it sound like he's George Washington, Abe Lincoln, FDR and Reagan rolled into one. But, you know, he tried to do it again. And I actually thought in the first half of the speech, it was interesting if you listen closely. He was somewhat influenced by America first populism, the way he kept 
talking about American jobs and made in America and the Trump type themes, which you never heard during the Obama years. It was heartening in some senses. But then, of course, in the second half, he just descended into all the woke initiatives. And and then what was particularly offensive to me, not that I'm not used to it, is the attempt to again make it seem like Republicans are just on the verge of taking away your Social Security, your Medicare and everything else. We've been hearing this message from the left literally for decades. And so we heard it again. So it's just a typical left wing speech, but it did lay out the basic contours of his reelection campaign, which I expect he will kick off in a matter of days, if not a few weeks. Okay, Tim. So you talked about themes there and contours, but for me, it didn't seem that there was a unifying theme, or, or as Einstein might, might put it, a grand unified theory. Graham, what do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, the talk of unification coming from Joe Biden is is just crazy anyway, because we know that it's only going to be a matter of days or weeks at the most before he is addressing, uh, delivering an address somewhere else at some perhaps campaign stop or some uh, conference or wherever. And he's going to start talking about the threats posed by MAGA Republicans once again. And the fact that we and I say, when I say we, um, I mean those of us who are on the political right, so to speak, um, that we're all a bunch of uh, dangerous extremists who are hell-bent on destroying the country. Um, so, you know, it's kind of like um, Hillary Clinton's basket of deplorables moment. When, when she made that comment, I knew right there and then that she had just sunk any chance she had whatsoever of winning the 2016 election because you can't talk about unity but then literally admit that you hate half the country mm-hmm. and uh, and joe biden has already done this on multiple occasions so any talk of unity and and i will add that he he often he frames unity because he is a career politician and he spent like uh, what 17 or 18 decades in the senate um <laughs> he, uh, it certainly felt like it, uh, it he, la- he laid the foundational stone of that building on his <laughs> right, he did right yes. But um, I think I think it was the Roman Senate that he began with. Um, But anyway, uh, when, when he when he describes unity, he frames it in terms of uh, legislative achievement. He always talks about, you know, his idea of unity is, well, Democrats and Republicans in the Congress are working together. But of course, even that's nonsense, because if you get a bill that the Democrats passed with maybe two or three Republican votes, uh, he will call that a bipartisan bill, just the same way that they called the January 6th committee a bipartisan committee when, you know, the the, the Democrats literally dictated which two Republicans uh, would be on that committee. Uh, and they were both certainly not, you know, they were partisan themselves. Um, well, yeah, so... I, I- so the Sorry. nonsense, so unity, bipartisanship, this is all, you know, it's all a mirage. I, I think uh, Scott, our, our resident legal scholar, would uh, point out to us, and correct me if I'm wrong, that uh, if you had two people about to appear on a jury, for example, as you did on the January 6th committee, uh, Adam Kinzinger and 
Liz Cheney, names I uh, thought I may never have to mention again, uh, they would be struck from the jury, wouldn't they, Scott? Well, I was thinking that you only need actually Graham gave it too much credit with two or three Republicans to make it bipartisan. All you need, the, you only need the one. Yeah, that's when uh, that's when it becomes bipartisan. And and yeah, of course, Mark. But let's not. I think I've yelled at you before about this. What that committee has as much in common with an actual criminal trial as a pineapple. I mean, they are not alike at all. They all wear shoes outdoor. <laughs> now, come on, let, let's talk about the State of the Union here. There, there was quite a bit of to and fro. I didn't even involved. get a chance to give my, my two cents, which is I'm so disappointed in my colleagues for their cynicism. We had a Please. president stand up to the drug companies, let us know that America could do no wrong when we work together and there is no collection of Americans that some other collection of Americans can't steal from to better their lot. And uh, I, for one, say, let's get to work. You know, Let, let's get to work. Yeah, I mean, the, the taxpayer has truly had a very busy year spending all of these these trillions of dollars. That's trillion with 12 zeros, as Tim Donner likes to point out. Scott, I do have a question for you. Uh, and it was really about the to and fro that occurred during the speech, uh, especially with some of the more raucous Republicans. Interesting, huh? Yeah. Now, here's the thing, right? Uh, I'm from the UK, and we're quite used to <laughs> yes. seeing adversarial politics, as in, you know, one side will shout at the other, uh, even when they're in the middle of a speech, and they'll start trying to make a point or make an argument. Uh, and I'm so I'm quite used to it. It's not as bad as the Australian Parliament, where obviously fistfights and whatnot, yet. But there's a reason it's two sword lengths apart for the uh, the, the, the Westminster House of Parliament. Um, but it seems that the media is quite a bit in shock now, doesn't it, Scott? At the, the, the this, a pearl clutching shock, I might add, at the behaviour of some of the Republicans. What's your take? Well, of course, my take is that if you process their comments as they are. Uh, Democrat operatives with bylines, they'll make more sense than if they were just reporters. But um, there did seem to be a bit more interaction than usual uh, last night, I'll say. And and Biden seemed to be more interested in, in engaging with that mm. interaction. Yes. But I, I think that, uh, as I recall, uh, State of the Union's past in my lifetime that I you know consumed as they were occurring, there's usually a, a once or maybe twice where there's a bit of a, you know, a flipping comment that could be made by the by the president reacting to what's happening in the chamber, but it was uh, it went on for more than uh, than usual last night, and there were more instances of it. Uh, I think. Yeah, but it's, it's for some people. I think it may have came across as a, a grumpy old man who can't let an insult slide. I don't know. That's just, that was just my take on it. You know, I can't I, imagine, by the way, the way Biden just yells at everybody and how that's good speech making. I, I literally was watching and just kept thinking, how is this a good, you know, to me, it makes it makes the case that speech making is not an important part of being president of the United States or winning that office, because how can that be good? Well, I just I would just ask if I could ask for Please. one one thing from Joe Biden. It would be for him and his fellow leftists to define precisely what fair share is. They keep going. Everybody needs to pay their fair share, pay their fair share, which is the most demagogic political point you can make. And they keep using it. They never define it. How about it, Mr. President? What's a fair share? Tell us. That is a, a great question to ask and one that uh 
Thomas Sowell himself uh, asked, what is a fair share of your money to give to somebody else? Uh, but I think Tim Donner put it better. Now, we're talking State of the Union with our special Liberty Nation panel. After this short break, we'll be back picking out the high points and the low points. Don't go anywhere. freedom and your liberty liberty nation with mark angelides and we're back with our special liberty nation radio state of the union panel of tim donner graham j noble and scott d casenza now earlier we talked about the lack of a unifying theme to biden's address and next up i really want to get your highs and your lows uh, of the whole event now for me the high point it was actually reading the speech as it was released on the White House official website and comparing it to the reality of what came out of the president's mouth. And if you have a spare couple of hours, I recommend everybody tries it because it's it's quite the it's quite the stark difference. And of course, you have the, the paper version that is now the official historical record. So referring to Chuck Schumer as the minority leader, as President Biden did in his first few minutes, uh, when he even when he has the, the teleprompter words in front of him, that now goes the way of the memory hole. So that was the high point for me uh, reading through that. But I guess I have to say that was also the low point because historical revisionism, we don't like it. You know, it's in 100 years, people will be studying the speech and not realize that Joe Biden can barely string a sentence together. Graham, what about you? Well, the low point was uh, the low point began when he started speaking and, and it ended when he finished <laughs> speaking. I, I thought of, of particular interest was the fact that he actually went off script, literally went out of his way to um, express his admiration for Chinese President Xi Jinping. Uh, that, to me, that was incredible where, you know, that had no place in that speech. And the fact that it was he went off script to do that, um, basically making the comment something along the lines of, you know, what, what who else would want Xi Jinping's job? As if to say, you know, this guy is um, this guy has got the toughest job in the world, and 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 you know, and thank the Lord he's there doing it. You know, it's kind of a very very strange to me. Other low points, of course, were his touting of certain uh, economic uh, achievements, which were, if you look at them in the in the correct context, they they were all nonsense. I mean, the you know the record job creation. And, um, you know, the inflation coming down, despite that, you know, <laughs> inflation peaked at a horrendous number, you know, of something like north of 9% last year. And, and so and it's still yeah. four points up on where it was and, when he and, took yeah, office. And, and, and yet we're, we're, he's lauding the fact that inflation come down. And of course, again, the, the whole deficit reduction again, I mean, we could get into the weeds of the numbers, but basically that whole record deficit reduction is also nonsense because essentially, you know, in in all of these areas, we're doing nothing more than returning to pre-pandemic levels. And in many cases, we're not even there at those levels yet. I, I think another way of looking at pre-pandemic levels is to say Trump era levels, isn't it? Would that be a fair no, assessment? Indeed, yes. Yes, exactly. Yes. How about right. 2019 levels? Yeah, yeah. Just prior to the, the actual pandemic. Now, Scott, what are you? what's your highs and lows? Well, those... 
By the way, in terms of pre-pandemic stuff, I just want to put this out there. We haven't even fixed these supply chain things that that, that have gone on. I had to put half and half in my coffee today, like some kind of war oh. or something like that. Oh, I know. You hate them. How horrible. Oh, this is what this is the kind of thing we're dealing with here. That's unconscious. By the way, I just wanted to say I'll I, get I, on the phone to Transport Secretary Pete Goodyear. Graham, uh, Graham, your take on the G comment. But the thing I thought that that I took a took away a completely different take than you than you did, Graham. And I just wanted to bring it up because I, I think it's an interesting point. To me, Biden seemed to be saying we have so uh owned China that nobody wants to be president of China because that's how awesome we are in crushing right. China. That's what I took away from it. And I, I also, but by the way, I also thought like you did, it was a staggering divergence for, for what purpose? Like we're dunking, like to me, it was like, we're dunking on China. Is this because of this, this balloon thing? I mean, it, it, that, that was just the nuts of it, but I'll get to Mark's question, which is the high points and the low points. I thought the high point was uh, that he didn't use the state of the union address to dump on and direct hate towards the roughly half of Americans who voted for somebody else to be president of the United States, uh, that he didn't talk about Donald Trump or Republicans in a hateful way. At least I didn't pick up on it uh, in any meaningful way that I've seen him do so many times before. I had a conversation before the speech with a relative of mine who will go nameless, uh, who said, gee, I, I just wish that we could do without all the, you know, the vitriol. And I almost, you know, exploded in term because this person, you know, voted for Biden. And of course, that's where so much vitriol had been coming from. So I think it's a real high point that he didn't do that. I don't know that there's any good moral reason you know, behind it, except it probably isn't polling very well. But that was that was the high point, I thought. And I thought the low point was for him to exploit the death of Tyree Nichols for uh, applause and discuss like the need for change when he literally has done nothing as president of the United States now for a year to, to stop what he can do, he can direct the Department of Justice to prosecute local police departments who violate the civil rights of their their citizens. We're chasing down and prosecuting people, you know, who sat in Nancy Pelosi's chair for three minutes, like they're actual terrorists. So that that was a low for uh, for me. Okay, and Tim, the high point was the drama surrounding whether Kevin McCarthy was going to fall asleep. If you looked at him, he was getting sleepier and sleepier. And at one point, his eyes shut for an instant. So I thought there was very high drama there. Tim, that was just a delicate homage to President Biden whenever he has to sit through anybody else speaking. That's an excellent interpretation, Mark. Um, the, The pandemic... The way I don't know if any of you caught this, but did you see how he tried to blame the bloody violence of 2020 on the pandemic mm. instead of on the cultural Marxists? That I, his, I didn't pick up on that. That, that his that party said was, it was a yeah. very nuanced thing, but he yeah, tried okay. to write it off as part of the pandemic. The the disingenuousness of his concern about fentanyl when he has overturned dozens of Trump regulations that have opened up the border and allowed records amount to come through. And he tries to act like they're really on it when they're not. Coming up after this short break, we'll be reunited with our special Liberty Nation panel to discuss the political realities for Biden's speech and how it bodes for Biden's 2024 prospects. Don't touch that dial.
that was free. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of enterprise, and freedom is special and rare. This is Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides, a production of LibertyNation.com, going after what the politicians really mean and making it all clear for your freedom and your liberty. Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. And we're back with Tim Donner, Graham J. Noble, and Scott DeCasenda discussing the ins and outs of President Biden's State of the Union address. Now, earlier in the show, we talked the highs and lows and whether there was an identifiable theme. But now I want to get into the, the nitty gritty of it and figure out just what political realities lie below the laundry list of the hot topics delivered to Congress. Now, Scott, there were a number of policies or perhaps more accurately wish list items in the address. Now, surely he knows that things like uh, a federal abortion law and the like, these kind of things won't get passed with the GOP House. So what's the motivation? Well, I can only assume the motivation is the virtue signal to people who want uh, abortion to be legal and will vote for somebody based on that status alone, uh, that they should vote for him. He, you know, the, the, it's so funny, too. They don't even <laughs> use the word ab- abortion. As I recall, during the speech, it was enshrine the protections of Roe v. Wade, uh, you know, enforce it. And, of course, Roe v. Wade is a Supreme Court uh, precedent that has since been overturned. And you, Congress cannot, the, the very language of it is preposterous. Congress can't enshrine Roe v. Wade into law. Roe v. Wade is a decision by the Supreme Court that says the the Constitution means X, Y, and Z. That's not how Congress operates. They can pass a federal law, even if they did pass a federal law, giving people the rights that the Supreme Court said were constitutional in Roe v. Wade, it wouldn't be enshrining Roe v. Wade into law. It's a separate mechanism. And, and maybe it's because I'm a lawyer who focuses on constitutional issues, but it does drive me batty that this is the way that the conversation has circled in on. But, but to, to answer your question, I'm sure it's a virtue signal uh, and uh, an attempt to gain, you know, political support for, uh, for his candidacy moving forward. Graham, same question for you, uh, but also I want your thoughts on the GOP reaction. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, first of all, it, it, in reference to that particular question, of course, uh, the, the the wish list, if you like, of, uh, you know, future legislative uh, policy goals and so on is all about saying to people, look, you know, we, when the election rolls around in 2024, um not only do you have to re-elect me, but you need to give the Democrats control. You know, you need to you need to put the Democrats back in charge in the House of Representatives so that we can get these things done. Um, so that's what it's all about to me. In terms of the GOP rebuttal, um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, now governor of Arkansas, uh, delivered that. And of course, the one thing that jumped out at everybody was that she said, um, you know, that this is not a question of uh, a choice between right and left anymore. It's a question. It's it's a question of you know. It's choosing between normal and crazy, and she's taken a lot of flack for that. Um, I happen to agree with her because because I like to sometimes just step away from the the party politics of it, the D's and R's after people's names, uh, and say, look, you know, we've got a situation now where. In truth, most of the country, most of the people in this country, or certainly I I believe and I would put money on it, most of the people in this country want normal. They want okay, they might they might we might have little differences of opinion of of, of to how we 
of to how we say provide healthcare services or, or you know how we do this how we do that how much government intervention should there be um in in you know in the in the economy we can we can differ and over those things but still most people in this country regardless of what party they vote for i believe want a normal want a sense of normality and and then you've got this other faction uh, which is being pandered to by the democratic party and specifically by mr biden who who actually want crazy okay tim what about you well i think another key distinction that sarah sanders drew in her uh, republican response which i thought was overall very impressive uh, i think she's got quite a future she's uh and she pointed to the future in basically what i call the 4080 um construct she said i'm 40 years old the youngest governor in the united states joe biden is 80 the oldest man ever to serve uh in the presidency so she's trying to create an image of republicans as being more youthful than democrats that they're the ones with more of the normal ideas as as graham uh, was talking about and clearly uh sarah sanders who proved herself of course as press secretary and an excellent one as kaylee mcenany was for um donald trump that were both very effective um she got home the message using the key language mincing no words using words like woke mob and not going quite as far as what graham said but saying that the left refuses to even define what a woman is this is where we've reached the point uh of absurdity where that uh where the line of acceptable discourse and acceptable ideas the overton window so to speak they're they're pulling it further and further towards crazy and trying to represent it as being normal Okay, so obviously, uh, I think many people would agree that, that there is definitely a shift in the Overton window. I mean, we see it in uh, what I guess a lot of people also say there's no such thing as cancel culture, which uh, to those with eyes, ears and computers know that that's not quite true. Um, so the final thoughts on this is Karine Jean-Pierre, the, the present White House press secretary. Oh, and by the way, Tim, I noticed when you uh, enumerated uh, President Trump's great press secretaries you didn't mention sean spicer does he not uh, fit the bill of a, a great press secretary for you uh i think he was a bit dazed and confused is what i would say but i will say for the sake of bipartisanship that i thought jen Psaki mm. was also an effective press secretary for Indeed. joe biden yeah yeah and sean spicer I, hell of a I, dancer I, I, I would agree. Actually, she was far more professional, and and she and look, you know, you can argue all day about whether Jensaki was basically, uh, let's say, being often disingenuous <laughs> in terms of the answers she gave. But nevertheless, she presented an air of professionalism and competence. She actually, she actually, uh, you know, she actually seemed to be qualified to do that job so my final question though she said just before the state of the union that this was joe biden's writing that we would see joe biden in these words that were 
about to be presented. Who bought that? We have crickets and tumbleweed uh, <laughs> on the idea that John Biden items. actually wrote a single word of that uh, presentation that he made before Congress. I think, look, I think he, it's pretty clear that he spent most of the, what is it, 60 weekends he's been away from the White House scribbling away with notes on the State of the Union and what he was going to do and, and, and you know, changing and scratching out, you know, being right on top of it. I'm sure that... You want this guy to spend more time at the White House, Tim? Yes. 60 yeah. weekends I mean, is light. Like, I, I wasn't complaining. Oh, okay. The, the edits and the revisions were very easy because obviously he was doing it on an Etch-a-Sketch, possibly with crayon. <laughs> so... <laughs> Gentlemen, we will be back shortly after this short break, tackling how all this worked out as a 2024 launch pad for President Biden. Don't go anywhere. For your freedom and your liberty. Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. And we're back here on Liberty Nation Radio with our distinguished panel of longtime host of this here show and senior political analyst, Mr. Tim Donner, legal affairs editor, Scott D. Cosenza, and chief political correspondent and satirist, Mr. Graham J. Noble. Now, in our earlier segments, we ran the gamut on the State of the Union and what it represented. But now I'd like to turn to what it means for Joe Biden and his 2024 prospects. Now, Tim, as of our recording time, Joe Biden has yet to officially announce his 2024 plans although a lot of hints have been dropped. And you wrote an article on the page of LibertyNation.com explaining uh, how the State of the Union would set the stage for Biden's electoral hopes. Now that the event is in the rear view, what's your take? Have you changed your opinion or no? Well, I think that he's going to try to do a two-track appeal like he did during the State of the Union. On the one hand, he's going to be really pro-American. He's going to sound almost America first, make sure manufacturing jobs stay here, that all the money in the in the uh, infrastructure bill will be spent on American firms, et cetera, et cetera. So they'll try to claim that he's a populist in that sense. And again, I see the Trump influence there as as perverse as some people might think that to be. But on the other hand, he's going to say that he has saved the country from the extremism of of Trump, DeSantis and company. He didn't go after them in this uh, State of the Union so much. And but here's what he did do. He tied the January 6th. Uh, insurrection again if you were really paying attention he tied the january 6th insurrection to the attack on paul pelosi yeah. so that was same, his same paragraph same paragraph same, as well. same sentence they were using the same words he said like he was inspired directly right, right. you know there are two words were where's nancy like how many times in the history of Nancy Pelosi's octogenarian life has somebody said, where's Nancy? OK, sure, so maybe plenty, but they were all racists, of course. So he's going to save the country, Joe Biden says, from these extremists uh, and try to, you know, he'll talk unity and he will run as a divider like he did in 2020. And the press will call him a unity candidate. They'll call DeSantis or Trump 
or Youngkin or whoever else gets the nomination uh, as a divider and an extremist uh, and someone who, you know, Joe Biden himself demonized half the country, as we've discussed during his administration. That should be brought up heavily by whoever the Republican nominee is. But he will continue on this theme for one particular reason, will the president, and that is that he has elite media behind him all the way to the end. He had it in 2020 and he'll have it again in 2024, which means he's more he'll be more effective uh, at getting the public to buy what he's trying to sell that he would ordinarily. But let's not forget, he has been stubbornly stuck at 44 percent approval, Joe Biden, for a long time now, actually a remarkably stable job approval number. 44% is not a reelect number. Mm. Presidents do not get reelected with 44% approval. So he's going to have to amp that up. He really hasn't hit any higher than 46. And at one point, of course, he was in the 30s. So that's an indicator that, uh, you know, he's going to need a lot more fuel for the engine if he's going to win a second term. Yeah, I, th- I think it was only Harry Truman who managed to pull off getting elected with the low 40s. Uh, But that required an enormous amount of energy traversing the country back and forth in the last I don't see, yeah, I don't see Joe Biden (laughs) on a uh, continental uh, whistle-stop trip like Harry Truman in 1948. (laughs) It's it's unlikely. I mean, I believe that Joe Biden was with him during that trip uh, in his first years in Congress. He was one of his senior advisors, I think. (laughs) Um, again, also to Julius Caesar. Uh, now, Graham, do you think anybody was swayed by what Biden said? I, and I'm talking specifically with a lens to 2024. I mean, the, uh, there's a significant number of Democrats who don't want him to run again, um, but they'll still check the box marked Democrat if he is the nominee. Um, so, But do you think he has used this opportunity, because the State of the Union is an opportunity, to help or hinder his chances with the all-important independence? Uh, no, I don't believe so at all. And, and specifically for independence, I can't imagine how anything he said uh, last night would have swayed anyone who has been paying attention. Um, because, you know, we've heard this all before, the, the, the again, the touting of the uh, records, job creation, which is actually a complete mirage, and, and you know, inflation coming down, uh, which you know, in real terms uh, is not, I mean, it is happening now, but of course it's still, it's only coming down from a horrendous spike. It's not actually lower than it was, you know, before Mr. Biden came to office. Um, and so all of those phony um, and, and and a lot of independents, that, that's what they're looking at. You know, they're looking at, um, they're looking at the economy. They're looking at their paychecks. They're looking at you know how much they're paying in taxes and and uh, what they can afford, what they can and cannot afford to do, and 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 throwing out these phony um, these phony accomplishments, economic accomplishments of the Biden administration is not swaying any independent who's who's paying attention. And as for the Democrats who perhaps don't want Joe Biden to run for another term. And I actually believe, I personally believe there's a very good chance that that is actually most Democrats. Um, I don't, I, I don't just mean among the voters, but I mean actually among current elected 
officials yeah. in the Democratic Party. I believe most, I can't believe for a second that most of them actually are enthusiastic about Biden running for a second term. But of course, what do they do about that? They're, they're really between a rock and a hard place on that. But yeah, I mean, coming back to the question, did the, did the address itself sway anybody uh, who was perhaps um, not on board with the Biden platform? Uh, no, I can't, I can't imagine why it would have done that. Okay. And Scott, what do you think the DNC folks are ruminating on right now? Are they patting themselves on the back for a job well done by Joe Biden saying he's our man for 2024? If they're the DNC folks that are the Biden people at the DNC, then they're ready to put the poison Who are the, the other of folks their, of their <laughs> colleagues that are rooting for some other candidate. So it is it is blood sport in there, to be sure. There's no there's no unity. I, I can guarantee you that. You think we'll see an internecine warfare? Uh, We've situation. seen it. It's happening now. I mean, uh, you know, the 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 kind of barbs that have come out against uh, Biden for the uh, classified document story, for instance, to me, show willingness uh, by these reporters who are, you know, by and large, Democrat influenced uh, people or Democrat influencers that they're giving permission to basically think bad things about Joe Biden. That to me is uh, is a big deal. Absolutely. Now, Tim, final question goes to you. Uh, what should Joe Biden be aiming to do differently in his 2023 address, assuming that uh, Kamala Harris hasn't usurped the throne? Well, I would expect him to be probably a little more divisive than this year and talk more about the dem democracy is at stake and all that exaggerated rhetoric like he used at that, you know, it, with the blood red backdrop at Independence Hall on July 4th. I mean, that was just so over the top. And I think people were affronted by that. But I think he feels like he has to do that because, look, there's not a person in this country except perhaps Dr. Jill Biden, who is enthused about having Joe Biden is president. Hunter, he, Hunter, Tim. Hunter, yes. Well, I'm not so sure about that <laughs> either. Hunter's hoping that Joe becomes emperor. I don't think I don't think there would be an investigation if Hunter was just some former vice president's kid. But you know, nobody's enthusiastic about him, and he himself admitted he's just a placeholder. He's a generic Democrat. He's not Trump. Not DeSantis, not Youngkin, not Haley, not Cruz, et cetera, and all those Republican hopefuls. And I think he's going to fall back on what he did in, in 2020, which is to simply be not the other guy and count on the media to put the wind at his back and uh, somehow push him into the Oval Office for a second term, after which he would be. 86 years old count them 86 that that's with 12 zeros tim <laughs> i know i'm going to be called an ageist for that but as a seasoned citizen myself i get the right to say that absolutely T tim donna thank you very much scott casenza thank you very much and graham noble yes. thank you very much and that's all we have time for on this special edition of liberty nation radio state of the union dissection here on the radio america network I'd like to thank our panel, Tim Donner, Graham Noble, and Scott Cassens for joining us. Give my appreciation to you, the listeners out there who take the time to join the fun. My parting shot for this week, I want to take a brief moment to discuss advertising. 
for the State of the Union address is truly a public advertisement to sell an agenda and create user buy-in for the things to come. As Noam Chomsky remarked, it's important to bear in mind that political campaigns are designed by the same people who sell toothpaste and cars. And he's not far wrong. The public is sold on the features and benefits of an administration, but also something darker. We should perhaps take to heart the words of George Orwell in his essay, Why I Write. He said, all the papers that matter live off their advertisements, and the advertisers exercise an indirect censorship over news. Well, if that's true for papers, why would it not be the same for a political advertisement? Thanks for listening. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.